Welcome in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you, and we are here to set the stage for number seven Penn State's most recent trip up to East Lansing. They are heading there on Saturday afternoon for a showdown, looking for their first win at Michigan State since 2009 and their first win against Michigan State, period, since 2016 in that Big Ten championship run. Uh, Michigan State, as we covered quite a bit on the last episode, which we hope you enjoyed it. It was about 90 minutes on Tuesday. Uh, Stephen Brooks did a great job from from, lines, or from 24-7 Sports, Michigan State site, detailing a lot of, uh, of that team and what they've gone through, 4-3 and three on the season. Sean and I will continue that conversation, focus on some keys to the game for Penn State, get to our predictions. Uh, Sean, let's bring you in. I'm making the trip to East Lansing, heading out to Detroit on Friday, um, my first trip to Michigan State, and obviously this is a one where I think Penn State fans have circled for a while. I don't think it mattered if Michigan State was seven and zero or four and three. There's a sense of uneasiness among Penn State fans, and also a sense that they clear this hurdle people are going to really start to jump on board what this Nittany Lions team could accomplish. Well, you need to throw out the records when you're talking land-grant trophy on the line. I mean, that's the thing that everybody wants to take home, regardless of whether you make a playoff or a big bowl game. The land-grant trophy is really what you look back to at the end of the season, and you'll get to see it. I'm a little jealous. You're going out to East Lansing. You'll get to see it, and I don't I don't get it at home, uh, but I'll deal with beautiful, it. A beautiful hunk of wood, from what I've been told. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. But yeah, recent history uh, has not been favorable to the Nittany Lions. This has been the speed bump. This has been the one that they've look to um, you know everybody you, you always circle Michigan and Ohio State but Michigan State is right up there and rightfully so they've played the Nittany Lions tough and I I think we're going to see a game uh, you know like we saw a couple of weeks ago with Iowa it's it's one of those ones where Michigan State will you know I think Penn State's the more talented team Michigan State sort of drags you down to their level and beats you with experience I mean that's the that's the way that they do it that's the way that they won games in the past that's the way that they've knocked uh, Penn State off of their game that and three and a half hour rain delays or whatever that that seems to help as well but I think they'll be okay in that regard this weekend and Sean you're the first person to reference that weather delay the entire week so congrats to you no we've heard a lot about that (laughs) I heard Mark uh, Brennan uh, our colleague at Lions 24-7 mentioning the fact that there was rain in the forecast uh, yesterday coming off the practice field and I had to ask is there a lightning bolt in that forecast but hey it looks like it's going to be in the high 60s pretty good football weather uh, warmer than it is here right now so so we'll find out weather aside though uh, Michigan State's in a strange situation. They're in between bye weeks, Sean. And I, I mean, we asked Stephen, he, he, you know, there was no answer in terms of Michigan State having this happen before. Mark D'Antonio also said that it's, it's a, something he's never come across, but they were off last week following a 38 to nothing, a defeat on the road at Wisconsin, and they're off next week. So, I mean, first off, they're obviously, they, they're a program at some crossroad right now because, uh, they are four and three, as mentioned, but the last couple of losses, on the road in both occasions, 38 nothing at Wisconsin, uh, 34 to 10 at Ohio State. They lost at home in September uh, on a late field goal against Arizona State. That surprised a lot of people. Um, this is a program that early in the year was, you know, uh, kind of on the fringe of the top 25 rankings, and now it feels like they may be on the fringe of really exploring a coaching change. There's been some off-field issues for this program uh, that have t- taken a spotlight. They've had six in-season uh, transfer portal uh, additions, including a guy who, who was pretty featured in their backfield to entering the year uh so you know sean this is a program that we talk about stability and 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 always being around michigan state and always being in the hunt it seems right now if penn state lands a blow uh and knocks them down to four and four going into another bye week on a three-game losing streak with how this thing's going steven said it last week uh it feels like for the first time really in a long time uh that that really ever with with d'antonio where people are, are starting to look towards what is next for the program in terms of leadership. I think that's fair. And I think a lot of that goes to the off-field stuff and, and the way that he's handled it really kind of steadfastly either denying it or just to kind of saying deal with it basically. Um, so I, I, that stuff aside, I mean, this this hasn't been an offense that's been able to go out and win you games. I think they scored 40 against I- Indiana, but they got shut out against Wisconsin. Now the end of the schedule is pretty inviting. You've got Illinois, then Michigan, then Maryland and Rutgers. So it sets up pretty pretty much as well as anybody could hope. But really, that Illinois team that just beat Wisconsin, right? That's the one you're talking about. That's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but uh, they're still Illinois. Uh, you're not sure how they're going to respond after uh, some success. I know they haven't really dealt with that too too much. So, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, basically I'm saying they got Maryland and Rutgers at the end of the year. So sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, it's it's kind of like they've they've hit this big stretch, and we saw Penn State. 
with that three-game stretch of, of Iowa, Michigan, and Michigan State sort of defining their season, well, uh, Michigan State's really already hit that stretch. You know, they're kind of at the end of that stretch with this Penn State game, and they haven't responded as well. So it'd be really interesting to see how they handle things in the big picture with Mark D'Antonio. Um, you know, it wouldn't be surprised to see a, a job opening. I mean, that, that thing looks like it's wearing on him, and it looks like it's wearing on the administration as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see where they're coming out, uh, coming out of Saturday. But, uh, again, this is a, this is, I don't think it's a good football team, but you know, the, it's the, the blueprint for every Michigan state team, you know, I mean, they're, they're going to hit a couple plays here and there on offense, but they're, they're really going to go back to that defense. And that's really where they, you know, they're, they're going to make their bread and they're going to take you, try and take you out of their game. Yeah, again, I don't think many of our listeners care what Michigan State dealt with coming to this game. They know what Michigan State has done against Penn State uh, during recent years, the last couple uh, devastating blows. Uh, it, it, the difference here is, and you got to point this out, obviously, and I know people are, are, are pretty scared that Michigan State has had two weeks to, to digest a 38 nothing embarrassing loss and, and maybe view this as a rally point against Penn State. Uh, but unlike the last couple seasons, Penn State is not coming into this matchup off of a, a devastating stating defeat against Ohio State. One-point losses and then taking on Michigan State. There was a bi-week buffer last year in between those two games, but that was the scenario. Right now, you're looking at uh, the opposite end of the spectrum where the momentum is carrying Penn State, uh, getting past Michigan, getting past Iowa, getting to 7-0 for the second time in three seasons, and, and now being number six in the nation. I think I accidentally said seven earlier. Number six in the country in the AP poll and the coaches poll, and, and you want to set the stage for, for the college football playoff rankings that are coming out, and obviously, Got to get through Michigan State, but looking to exercise demons and Michigan State's looking to stop the bleeding, uh, someone's going to end up coming out of this game really hurting. Um, and Penn State, though, has got a bye week ahead of them, so a major opportunity, a springboard for them to get into their the final third of their regular season with an unbeaten record, get to sit, rest, relax, spend some family time, watch everybody else try to come uh, come away with wins next weekend while, while they know they won't lose next weekend, and then get, get back at it with the final four games starting with that trip to Minnesota. But without looking too far ahead um you know this is a matchup where michigan state heading into it as i said three straight against top 10 opponents sean the first time they faced that since 1972 pretty unprecedented then a third time in their program history facing three consecutive top 10 opponents and as we said penn state at 7-0 and now, uh, a young team that just continues to end confidence. And, and, you know, I think it's been pretty much on display all week. I'll get to it in a moment. Uh, it, it's a team that is feeling really good about itself, but it's also a team that has, you know, been surprisingly earnest about how it understands the importance of this particular matchup. They're always going to tell you, want to know, want to know, want to know. They understand, though, that, that there's some history here, and a lot of the guys in the locker room have felt that sting, and they really want to keep a good thing going. And, and so I, I think anyone who's who, – this is not a game they're going to look past. Maybe if they if they had no a recent history and it was a 4-3 and three Michigan State team and you could say, oh, my gosh, a trap game. I don't buy the trap game notion. You've got a bye week next week. It's not like you're going into some kind of buzzsaw next week. And right now you're in a situation where you know full well what the Spartans have done to your program. Yeah, it's not uh, it's not a trap game uh, in the sense that it's like senioritis when you're trying to get out of school and get to it. You know, they're, they're not worried about that bye week. It's it's more about finishing what they started. And this team, I mean, really, let's be honest with you, not a, not a bunch of this team has beaten Michigan State. I mean, it's been since 2016 that they've won that game and and really in tough fashion. So it'd be really interesting to see how they handle uh, the different atmosphere. Um, it, it's it's a weird place to play. It's kind of like. I don't think it's the same as Kinnick, but we're just drawing so many parallels to this Iowa game. And I think that the teams are similar. I think Iowa's a little more talented than Michigan State, um, maybe a little deeper. Um, and the offensive line may be a little better. But uh, it, it, it's going to draw a lot of par- parallels to that Iowa game. And Penn State's got to hit these shots. And Michigan State's going to sit back and try to keep everything in front of them, try and avoid getting carved up. Because if you look at some of the shots that they've given up, especially in that Ohio State game, it's Ohio State players making something. It's not throwing over the top of the defense and and burning safeties or or getting anything like that. It's you know short stuff that guys turn into to uh, to long touchdowns. And I think KJ Hamler is going to be once again uh, the focal point of Penn State's offensive attack. Would like to see them diversify that a little bit. Yeah, I think Pat Fryermuth can have a big week as well. Um, but we'll we'll see how you know Ricky Ronnie and those guys handle it because really this offense and I I talk about it on my second look, which is about to go up as as soon as we get done uh, recording this. 
you know, Penn State took some shots that you maybe didn't see. James Franklin saw it after the game or said it after the game. They took some shots, and it's not all about going downfield all the time. It's about hitting some things uh, short to move the stick. You, you take some shots to move the sticks. You take some shots to go downfield. You take some shots to score to get the ball in the end zone. They did that on uh, Saturday night against Michigan and really weren't successful over the, t- over the course of the last, uh, uh, I guess, two and a half quarters of the game. So if they can do that, uh, it's going to take fewer shots now to, to beat Michigan State than it will to, to beat Michigan. But they got to hit those. Sean Clifford's got to make his throws. And if he makes a couple throws like his best one, I mean, his throw against Jahan or to Jahan Dotson on the first uh, in the first quarter the other night was phenomenal. Quick, a uh, couple of touchdown passes to KJ Hamler were right where they needed to be. You know, he gets that a little bit more consistently. It really opens up things for everybody. Yeah, and we've talked often about how Penn State is really going to prioritize the chunk plays and, and, and taking their shots downfield, and that's the way they want to win football games, and they're willing to sacrifice some other things to make that happen or to attempt to make that happen as well. That's their bread and butter right now, and right now Michigan State, that they have a penchant for giving up those big plays. I, I threw this up on our message boards on lines 24-7 earlier, just looking through the numbers a little bit this morning on Thursday. Major contrast, almost 40% of the touchdowns that Michigan State has given up so far in the season are from 20 or more yards out. Three of them are from 60 or more yards, and those are each in the last two games. Uh, Two from 60-plus against Ohio State, another against Wisconsin. Uh, And the Spartans, meanwhile, you want to talk about the contrast in styles here. They have scored three touchdowns from beyond 20 yards. They have not scored a touchdown longer than 42 yards. By the way, Penn State's offense, five touchdowns from 50-plus yards through seven games, and they've scored 16 total touchdowns from beyond 20 yards. I know that's a lot of numbers and stuff like that, but again, the way these teams line up, those numbers mesh very well for the Nittany Lions. By the way, tip of the cap to the Penn State defense, they've given up one touchdown from 20 yards or more. It was that 33-yard reception that Brandon Smith had against them over John Reed late in the Iowa game. Aside from that, it's been one-yard runs, you know, uh, eight-yard passes, and so Michigan State they have a penchant for serving up some big plays. Penn State has 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 shown the track record over these recent years that they will capitalize and exploit teams in that regard. And I just think that's a really interesting how their seven-game history here, um, meeting here, it sure seems to favor Penn State in those dynamics. Yes, but what you did not mention was that Penn State kryptonite is back in Brian Lewerke, quarterback for Michigan State. Now, granted, no Felton Davis this year, which everybody on that sideline is going to be pretty pumped not to Wait, see him. Wait, Sean, Sean, he tweeted he will be in the stadium, though. That's probably too close for comfort for a lot of Nitty Lions fans. You were all over that one. Uh, <laughs> but Brian Lewerke, uh, just the biggest, uh, I don't know, mystery that you could possibly see. He's not a very good quarterback, but when he plays Penn State, he's something else, man. Yeah, he was pretty terrible against Wisconsin, and Stephen Brooks, you know, joining us to talk about Michigan a little, Michigan State a bit uh, earlier this week, you know, kind of said Lewerke's career has been very much kind of juxtaposed between, you know, a few of these impressive performances. Clearly, on his on his uh, resume, you're going to point to the to the two come from behind wins against Penn State, uh, one on the road in Beaver Stadium that says a lot. But um, overall, it, much like uh, Nate Stanley, he's had his moments, but overall, it's it's been a lot of numbers compiled and, and not a ton to show for it, um, you know, in terms of Big Ten title contention uh, and, and also in terms of, of doing it on a consistent basis, which is really what defines an impressive quarterback and a quarterback who's taking a program to another level. So, but yeah, he's, people will say, you know, he's looked like Joe Montana against him. I think a lot of folks are, are we said throw out the records. They're probably going to throw out his stats and throw out his film and anything you've seen from the first seven games this year and say, we know what Brian Lewerke can do. Uh, he's shown it on the road, at home, in, in, in bad weather conditions. I don't. No one's going to trust the fact that Lewerke, uh is is uh, is is a guy who is an average quarterback or or maybe a little bit better than average uh, against Penn State. He has been uh, you know quite impressive. But hey, that's the recent history. It doesn't necessarily play a role here. I think you got to get your team to buy into that. And defensively, we'll talk about it in a moment what their keys are. They do have some weapons. Like you said, Felton Davis is, is, is gone, and everyone's happy about that who, who wants to see the Nittany Lions win this game. But Daryl Stewart has stepped up. He is the Big Ten's leading receiver. Uh, he is the Big Ten's uh, leading reception guy. So he, he's he's all across the board, except for touchdowns with K.J. Hamler is number one. He, he is the conference's leader. That's a bit surprising. You don't necessarily expect that from a Michigan State wide receiver, especially when you look at the way their offense has functioned over the year. They have a pretty solid uh, number two in Cody White, a guy who transferred over from Indiana. 
uh, a couple years ago. And but they are missing. Uh, I think who was going to be an impressive sophomore receiver for them? Jalen Naylor, guy who burned his red shirt last year. Uh, I thought he I thought he was on the verge of maybe making a leap for them. Uh, one of the more impressive athletes on their team. He's been out with an injury. He may end up be, being lost for the season or redshirting this year. And they're also at down an offensive lineman, Kevin Jarvis. He, he started games for them at guard. He started games for them at tackle. And in general, that's a bit of a, a theme for them on the offensive front. They've had some injury issues. Penn State, on uh, on the other hand, has has been healthy on that on that end. It's helped them develop their chemistry on the offensive front. But uh, this is a team right now that I don't think they have very strong offensive line play. Uh, and I also think that that you know the worky and and these and these pass targets they can get some things done. Uh, but uh, it's another matchup where I like Penn State's defense coming off a very tough physical game against Michigan. I know people are going to say, are they worn down? That's where I think you have the rotations that matter. And, and I do think, uh, you know, Lewerke's a guy where if you're able to batter him around a little bit early, it, it can make an impact. You don't want his confidence level going. I think that's the most important thing. We've seen what a confident Brian Lewerke looks like. And we've also seen what a, a Brian Lewerke who doesn't get started and doesn't get going looks like in a game. And it looks pretty ugly for the Spartans offense. And that could tell the tale on Saturday afternoon. What you wouldn't believe here is that Penn State has thrown 207 times this season. Michigan State has thrown 245 times. That's right. uh, <laughs> certainly not a, a stat that you're used to seeing. Granted, you know Michigan State's played from behind a little bit more than uh, than Penn State, but uh, it's really interesting to see that. Interesting that you mentioned Kevin Jarvis, sort of going back to the Iowa parallels. Iowa was without a starting offensive lineman that uh, you know has really been a flexible guy for them, has helped them out at a couple of different positions. So yes, this, this offensive line is not great. I mean, they've got some solid players up there, but I think it's another game that defensively Penn State can uh, handle the line of scrimmage. I think Gitor Gross Matos is in line for a really good game uh, this week. I know he's had some success against them in the past, um, but he, he's going to have an opportunity to get to Lewerke. Lewerke can get out and move, and, and, and that's one thing that really stuck out to me about the Michigan film, excuse me, is that you know Penn State really lost their scrambling, uh, uh, I guess, uh, really lost sight of Shea Patterson when he gets scrambling, when they had, uh, uh, I can't even think of the word I'm, I'm looking for, but uh, scramble responsibility. Uh, well, it's a different way to say it, but uh, then they had scramble responsibility. They let Shea Patterson get out in front of the pocket and move a little bit, and that ended up moving the sticks. Lewerke can do that as well, so you got to keep somebody in the, in line there, maybe not get so much penetration with the defensive tackles. Robert Windsor did a really good job of that at Iowa, and he, and he sort of reaped the benefits on his own. We'll see if they can do that again this week. I think this can be a big week for this front four. Yeah, we asked Antonio Shelton about that on, on Wednesday morning during a conference call, and and he did talk about the importance of maintaining the interior defense when when you're trying to rush the quarterback along the perimeter and getting uh, getting passed out there. You got Shea Patterson who was able to exploit that, as you mentioned, and and, and you know create positive plays and and, and maybe move the chains. And Lewerke, as you said, ha- has the scrambling ability. I think that's something they've tried to focus in on uh, this week because it wasn't up to par. I, I don't think. In, in in their view, how they handled those situations last week, and uh, you want to get Michigan State off the field early and often in this game. They do have a, a, an impressive redshirt freshman running back. We talk about, so much about the young running backs in Penn State's backfield. Uh, they found they found a solid player here in Elijah Collins. Um, he redshirted last year, saw a little bit of action, but averaging five yards per carry on 98 rush attempts uh, this year. He's nearing 500 rushing yards on the season. Uh, not much of a receiving threat at this point, in far as terms of him being utilized. But again, a guy who has been able to, to get the uh, things going on the ground. He, he was 12 for 63 against Ohio State. Against Wisconsin, hit a brick wall, eight carries, 16 yards. But they've wanted to get him the ball. And, and the games that they've, they've done well in, he's been in the high teens for carries. Uh, so Elijah Collins is... A new name to know for Michigan State as we've kind of gone over some of the guys who've been around there. Um, he, he's someone that Penn State is going to want to bottle up. And, and and I think you said this last week, although the Michigan Michigan had more success in a lot of ways, um, Penn State's been able to really shut down the run in so many circumstances this uh, this year. And I think Franklin actually said this week that uh, that's kind of the, one of the reputations they've developed is stopping teams that want to run the ball from running the football and, and we've seen that against Iowa we've seen it against Pitt and and despite those passes that we've seen Lewerke chuck up over the course of the season I'd have to imagine they're certainly going to want to establish that element of their of their game uh, early against Penn State to try to keep them honest uh, and, and maybe 
keep uh, Lewerke, uh keep keep the guys off Lewerke a little bit in terms of putting their ears back and chasing down him in the backfield. So uh, if they can shut down the run early in this one and start to really try to tee off uh, on the quarterback position, then I think Penn State's going to be a good spot. And again, Elijah Collins, a nice season so far, but not a guy who looks like a major game changer. He's just one of the better offensive players for a Michigan State offense that, that has just not been able to sustain drives and, and sustain accountability in putting up points over the course of the season. Well, uh, when we talk about Michigan State, we're always going to go cause sort of default to the defense. I think that's really where we, we got to look at this team. Uh, strong, I don't know that they're the deepest. They wore down, of course, against Ohio State. They, of course, got blown out of the water against Wisconsin. So you have depth questions. I think the front seven is solid. I mean, you're going to find that basically every week that Penn State's playing in the, uh, you know, for the last month, you're going to find a, fr- a solid front seven. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Penn State handles us on the road. Uh, James Franklin talked the other night about Michael Mennett h- handling the calls and how much uh, his confidence has really helped out that whole group. Uh, that will be tested this week, no doubt about it. Uh, a couple of good linebackers, Joe Bocci and uh, uh, Antoine Simmons, who's a, I believe a former Michigan commit. Uh, but uh, yeah, they're they're going to be all over the place, um, just like you would expect Michigan State linebackers to be. And the guy that you circle, Kenny Wilkes, is one of the best defensive ends in the Big Ten. The Big Ten's got some great defensive ends. He was one of those guys that I think uh, people were listing above Yitor Gross Matos uh, on a first team or a second team. I think he's a heck of a player. Yeah, Kenny Willekes and Bocce were both uh, preseason All-American picks. So uh, a lot of pedigree for them coming into this season. Had a chance to speak with, with Bocce out at the uh, the um, media days at, in Chicago for Big Ten out in, in July. And you know he has a lot of respect for Penn State. Um, and, and, and this is kind of a, a reoccurring theme from those conversations with a few Michigan State players out in Chicago. They're expecting a pissed off Penn State to come. Uh, they, they, they know full well, just as the Penn State players do, what happened the last couple times they met. Uh, and, and these Spartans players, you know, this was back in July, obviously. The, the season has gone on. Uh, things have happened, but, but they said even back then, that's a game that they know they're going to have to be prepared because they are expecting kind of a, 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 a charge of angry bees or something coming at them and, and, and just being pissed off. And that's what Penn State is going to be about in this game, or they need to be about if they're not then that may be a sign that you know something's wrong if we see this team come out and not look passionate. Um, I think. Well, with- well, how about how about that admission by James Franklin this week? I mean, that was something that he usually doesn't yes, get into. Yeah. He said the staff, the Penn State staff, sort of said enough is enough with with Michigan State. They weren't going to you know let them beat them once again, and you don't put too much stock in things like that. But for him to admit, you know that hey, they got it. They got a little real estate in our heads over the summer. Um, that's uh, it. Could be a good thing. Could be a bad thing. Could mean you spend a little bit more time, uh, you know, thinking about this one in, in July and August. But uh, I mean, that's uh, that's it's an interesting uh, sort of uh, letting down of the guard by James Franklin. He doesn't do that too often, and I think he kind of uh, I don't know if he misspoke or he just wasn't thinking when he said it. But it was an interesting omission. Uh, it's an interesting omission because that's not something he typically does. Yeah, I was going to mention this a little bit later when we got to the Penn State stuff, but it wasn't just Franklin, and and I was. Very surprised to hear that from Franklin, and uh, it was players. Usually, you know, we ask the players because we feel like we have to ask them. Um, and I know fans maybe get frustrated by the one and no answers, but those are the answers we get. Uh, but it was Jesse Lucetta, it was Antonio Shelton, it was Nick Bowers. Uh, you know, everybody. I feel like we asked this week, even John Reed, who who is about as calculated as as a member of the coaching staff when it comes to dealing with the the media. Uh, they all, in, in their own way, shape, or form talked about this sting that carried over from the last experience or experiences, depending on their age, of playing this Michigan State football team, what may have gone by the wayside. Because remember, even with those losses against Ohio State, um, they were one-point losses. They were games where Penn State led late. And you think, well, if we if we can run the table and get to get to 11-1, and one, and maybe Ohio State slips up, you still have playoff hopes. If you lose by one to a team like Ohio State, who's going to be ranked in the top 10 both of those years, and then you go and play Michigan State, and those are just completely extinguished. That hurts. And these players were pretty candid about about those feelings. And uh, I think I may have even heard the word revenge brought up, with which I just about you know choked because we do not hear those things from Penn State because it is you know top down from starting with James Franklin about that one and zero mentality. And uh, this is my third year covering the team, and I got to say this is the biggest break from that. It wasn't a huge break, but this is the biggest kind of shift in saying yes, there's a little bit more importance here, at least on the road in East Lansing. 
That's interesting stuff. I mean, it, it's it's sort of more of a psychological interesting type thing than an actual on the field. But uh, yeah, I mean, this has been the Michigan State loss is the one that's derailed both of their last two seasons. I mean, you can talk about those Ohio State games all you want, but at the end of the day, I mean, you know, you're, you're, you may be flipping a coin. If you're lucky, you're flipping a coin against Ohio State, but they come back and they lose uh, that 2017 game, you know, in the, in the delay out there. And all of a sudden, you know, you get knocked out of the playoff conversation. Then last year, I mean, you're, you're talking what, probably Peach Bowl, Cotton Bowl, something like that, and New Year's Six Bowl at least, and then you know you end up playing Kentucky in the Citrus Bowl, and then you know that was kind of a mess. So I mean, this Michigan State game, while it hasn't been the biggest game on the schedule, has ended up having the biggest impact on them, and I think the players have come away with that. Like we said, not a ton of guys have beaten on this roster have beaten uh, Michigan State, and they haven't lost to many other teams. You know, it's been Ohio State, Michigan State, Michigan, and you know I guess throwing the Kentucky Citrus Bowl game, but Michigan State's been one of those bugaboos for this team, and for James Franklin, he's one in four against Mark D'Antonio's squad since coming to Happy Valley. You look at his records across the Big Ten against pretty much everybody, uh, you know, except Ohio, with the exception of really Ohio State and, and Michigan, although he tacked on a win. It is a very impressive record in, in, in pretty much all these conference matchups. Uh, because I know people want to hear one more thing about that 2017 Michigan State-Penn State game in, in the crappy weather. Uh, Matt Coughlin, still the Spartans kicker. Uh, he's the guy who hit the game winner in that contest a couple years back. Um, he has actually not been great this year. He's got six misses. He's four of eight from beyond 40 yards. And this is an offense where they have stalled out quite a bit. They're, they're, they are not efficient. Uh, they are not good at finishing drives. Uh, and, and he's been asked to come onto the field. And he's not exactly getting it done from long distance. But again, I think people are going to continue to throw away the stats uh, of everything that Michigan State has done here in 2019 and just say, how can Penn State survive this game by any means possible? Um, we'll talk a little bit about that. How can Penn State survive? How can they maybe thrive and and, and make a statement and, and and come back from East Lansing not just eight no uh, with an escape, but eight no with a uh, with a statement in terms of coming away with a, a serious win and a uh, and a multi multi touchdown win perhaps. But we'll get into all that uh, for first a moment from our advertisers. Penn State, uh, again, feeling pretty good about themselves heading on the road to East Lansing. You can see in the body language. You can see the way the play players are carrying themselves in these interviews. They like where they're at, but they are certainly not satisfied. Uh, and and last week's game, you know, start 21 nothing, have to survive 28-21, uh, need some help from a drop late in the game, you know, have to scratch and claw your way to getting that down to triple zeros. Uh, certainly a program that w was not riding on the high horse despite the win. Understood they had some things to fix. We'll talk about that a little bit now. Um, but going back to what we talked about right before that break, one and no mentality, as much as I say, oh, it was nice to get a change up, that's exactly what is needed this week because uh, you don't want to get any sign of situation where maybe you start slow and you start thinking about, well, what happened last year because of the uniforms that are across the field from you. You want to just go about your business over the course of a week, trust in what the coaching staff is feeding you, and go out and play this team like they're any other Big Ten program because I think that's exactly the thing you have to do to avoid any pitfalls where you're thinking about 2018 or 2017 or that Michigan State uniform. Uh, and it's funny that I'm saying that because I said, oh, I really like that You know, there was a break and we got some you know candid moments from the staff and even from Franklin about the importance of this game, but... This is a game you kind of have to go back and fall back upon your foundation, which is taking it one week at a time and want to know, want to know, want to know, want to know as we hear. Well, it's human nature. I mean, that's that's something that's going to get to you. I mean, you're just going to be like, all right, what the heck do we got to do to get by these guys? And that's something you got to kind of put to the side. And uh, I don't know that there's a right way to do it, but uh, I mean, just... The, the turnover in the roster over the last couple of years, I think, is going to help. I mean, you've got a lot of young guys playing out there that, you know, they've been on the sidelines against Michigan State or, have play, you know, played in that game last year. But, uh, you know, they've got a short memory they've got, they've got to work with, and they've got a great defense to work with. I think that's the biggest thing is you don't see, you know, we, we, we've talked – whether it be one way or the other, you don't see any snowball, really much snowball potential against Michigan State. Um, you know, you don't see Penn State going down a score early or two scores early. I mean, it's just going to be one of those ones where you can see punt, 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 punt. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just got to go with it. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how they handle that. Um, a lot of it's going to be on Sean Clifford. And this is, uh, you know, where we're going to go at each other's throats again this week is, you know, Clifford's got to be better. He's got to hit some of those shots. And, you know, whether that's short shots, long shots, I mean, just the look on Pat Fryermoose's face. And it was a third down in the third quarter when he was standing there wide open and, and, and Clifford just went, well, just set one sail. I mean, that, that kind of said it all. And that's, and that's really been the defense, uh, the difference in this offense. Um, is just 
being able to, you know, take what take what is there and go with it. And if you can't take what is there and go with it and hit those shots, then you're you're setting yourself up to miss the big ones later in the game. So he's going to have to do that. I, I like, you know, I go back and I love what they did against Maryland in terms of getting the backs involved and and getting him moving around a little bit and doing some things because I think they're going to see a similar uh, plan of attack than than what they saw against Pittsburgh. Of course, you know, Mark D'Antonio and Pat Narduzzi are going to be sort of tied at the hip uh, with with their the way that they coach and the way that they play and everything like that. So I think that uh, you're going to see a similar style of pressure th- from the pan- th- than you saw from the Panthers in September. Clifford, I think, has taken some strides since then. But again, he was not good again in that game. And he's got to, you know, step up. And, you know, when you're scoring 17 against Iowa, you're scoring 17 against uh uh, excuse me, against Pittsburgh and 28 against Michigan, where you're kind of spotted 21 points. I mean, that's uh, that's got to be something where he takes that next step. And you're going to have to do it at this point in the schedule. You're going to have to do it against good competition. And that's where they're at uh, right now. Well, they were spotted 21 points because Sean Clifford orchestrated drives to get those 21 points on the board. But it's OK that the quarterback conversation is divisive, Sean. It's okay. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is getting destroyed and smacked around by everybody in the media world right now. And he hasn't lost that's a game true. as a college player. and He's won a national championship. It's what the position is. It's why it is the uh, hot, you know, the, the, it's just the lightning rod position in all of American sports. And, and that's what we talk about. So Clifford does not need to be that four touchdown in the first half guy. Uh, but he also really, I don't think, can afford to be the guy that we saw in Iowa, uh, the guy that we saw in the first half against Pitt, first half against Buffalo. That's where you can run into some situations where I think this team's confidence could take a serious hit in East Lansing and, and you may face some issues there. As you said, the defense is always going to have this offense's back. We've seen that week in, week out. And Michigan State's offense has done nothing to show, uh, to your point, the, that they're going to uh, blow up coming out of the bye week and, and all of a sudden take it to a Penn State defense that, that has been very, very consistent. Um, but I think with Sean Clifford, you know, the, the point to be made here with him is it's okay to be a game manager in this one. It, that is totally fine to take what you can get. I know we talked about taking those shots and, and going out winning games. And, and that's really, I think, who he is at the heart. He wants to be a guy who's going to take the chances. He, he wants to be a guy uh, who, who's going But again, the turnovers aren't there. Let me, let me bring it back there. If you get through this game and he can take care of the ball, that's going to go a long way. I think the one thing, that if you see him early in the game um, and he's not hitting and he's inconsistent, you'll take that over Sean Clifford trying to force the ball into spots and, and giving this Michigan State offense any kind of edge because he's been so good so far at not giving the opposing offense opportunities where they're on the doorstep of a touchdown and this defense's back is against the wall. I mean, for the most part, it's been very across the board this season. Uh, he, he's, he's, he hasn't allowed that to happen. So I think if you continue to do against that against Michigan State and realize the fact, you know what, it's okay if I got to ha- if I got to go to the sideline, have Blake Gillikin go out there, boot it. We're going to get the ball next time in better field position because this defense is going to do its job against Michigan State. Uh, you know, Sean Clifford needs to, to to maintain that mentality. I think over the course of this game. And he's a guy that he is his biggest critic. We got him again earlier this week, and he and he acknowledged a lot of different stuff. Uh, whether it was the the lack of involvement for a third receiver, and we f- we focused in on that X receiver position so much this year with Justin Shorter or Daniel George, and just not being uh, attributes for this offense right now, aside from downfield blockers, and, and you could say a decoy, I suppose. Uh, but Clifford put that on himself. He he put the you know if there's inconsistencies downfield taking shots, he put that on himself. And more importantly, he also said, you know, reading the run. And I think that's going to be big here. Can he make the right reads on the run option? Get the ball in the hands of his running back when it makes sense? Because I think a little too often he shouldered that load. And this is a situation where if you can avoid those, you know, two-yard losses or even a two-yard gain, uh, you know, something minimal there, and get the ball to a running back, let him let him take advantage and exploit these teams. I think Michigan State is a team that, that is susceptible to giving up Long distance runs, they've shown that. If you can get past that first phase, I don't have a lot of faith in their defensive backfield right now. Maybe they've fixed some things during their bye week, but they've been scrambling a lot this year. And Penn State has the speed next to him at running back. So I think that's important to trust. If, if Penn State's going to invest in the run game here in this game, is for Sean Clifford uh, to trust in those reads. This is game eight now. I have to imagine he's developing a better sense of, of when to tuck it when to let it go. Uh, and I think that's, that's as much as we talk about him as a passer and, and being able to do things downfield, you know, that's obviously a big thing. Decision-making is huge. And this is a guy who started seven games in his career. And if that's the biggest knock on him right now, the decision-making, that should be the biggest knock on him. He's a first-year starter. So I think, you know, that's also important to note. 
And that's and that's completely understandable. And I'm right there with you. I think rather than getting into the who who deserves all the carries or who should be getting these carries when, I mean, running efficiency is the way that uh, that, that I would phrase it. I think Penn State, you know, has has had some opportunities to break some things. They were very successful running out outside against Michigan, uh, especially early in the game last week. Kind of went away from it. Sean Clifford kept the ball, and you know, all of a sudden he's getting stopped for no gain instead. So. Want to see some some strides in that in that decision making, uh, more efficient with the running game, and if they're more efficient with the running game, it's going to open up a lot because we saw, you know, really what what can happen with down and distance and how important down and distance is to this offense. Um, you know, when they're behind the sticks, when they're third and eight and, and above, I mean, that's that's tough to deal with, especially when you're working with a new quarterback against a team like Michigan State that's going to bring pressure. They will play man, uh, which, can you know, can help out Penn State in, in situations, too. But they will bring pressure and play man. And sometimes, as it was late in the game last week, that pressure was getting there before those guys were getting out and getting into their roots and set and setting up. So, be interesting to see how he handles this defense. Like I said, he's seen one similar to it uh, with uh, with Pat Narduzzi's Pittsburgh defense uh, last month, but uh, it, I think he's made some strides since then. I think he'll be okay. I'm, I'm curious to see how much they use, you know, the drags, the underneath stuff. And and I'll tell you what, Tyler, for the first time, I'm not going to call for more Justin Shorter because we've been doing that so much. Maybe if we don't say anything, maybe maybe something good will happen from that exposition. I don't know who you're talking about. I don't. I don't know what that name is. I'm not going to mention it here. Maybe on the post game podcast, we'll have a lot to talk about in East Lansing with that particular player. Not right now. Um, in terms of, of the blueprint to victory here, I, I mean, I think you get a lead, you got to find a way uh, to to get that ground game going, because you do not want to see yourself get in a spot where it is those third and longs. And, and and look, there is respect for this Michigan State defensive front, but I don't think they're the best defense they, that Penn State has seen uh, in the Big Ten. I, they may be the third best. I still like Iowa's defense more than them. I like Michigan's defense more than them. Uh, and I think right now, if we're talking about a game where, where you got a three-point lead, four-point lead even in the third quarter, uh, I would be tempted to go the Iowa route, where you where you gave the ball to Noah Kane 15 times in the fourth quarter and said, let's, let's turn this one out, get in the plane, and get back to State College zero losses I'm not saying it needs to be only Noah Kane but I don't think there's anything wrong about it and instead of going out and, and this is what I think infuriates Penn State fans when they've had those those you know one score leads or less than a touchdown leads in some of these games late including Michigan State's where they come out and they pass twice and all of a sudden there's 45 seconds off the clock and you've got to pass again because you're in a third and eight situation or, or your third and 10 situation or your quarterback took a sack or, or what have you. And then you set up a situation where a quarterback may feel the pressure to put the ball in a tight window with the lead late in the game, result in a turnover, or it's an incomplete pass on third down and the clock is stopped. The other team has all of its timeouts. That's been the, the bad scenario that has played out for Penn State a little too often during the last couple of years when they've had late leads against good teams. To me, that blueprint against Iowa, I know people would love to see them go and, and, and get to the fourth quarter up 35-3 to three in this game. But if it's a 17-13 game or a 21-17 game or even a 21-10 game and you have some separation, I, I, I think that is the formula you want to follow to work your way out of East Lansing. And, and I think surviving is the wrong mentality. You want to have your foot on the gas. But this is a Penn State team that has shown they have that offense that has been missing missing from its bag of tricks the past couple of years, and and it, I see that as a perfect time to lean on it in this game. What's funny is I'm I'm downplaying the Noah Kane stuff, and this is actually a really good Noah Kane game, so uh, I do think <laughs> they they should probably feature him a little bit more, but I don't want to say it too loud. Anyway, defensively, yeah. I think that's where it really going to be where the de- the the difference is. Like I said, this front four has potential to 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 wreck this game once again. I think they can stop the run. I think they can get after Lewerke. Will they get home? I think is another question. They've got three sacks in their last two games. Um, and it's really not uh, you know it's it's sort of like the pit game. They've been around the quarterback. They just did not get home. Like I said, you keep Lewerke in front of you. You you keep responsibility on a scramble. You maybe keep a defensive tackle out in front of that pocket, and I think it can really make all the difference. So we'll see what happens with that. But I think that the, the this front four and and I guess this front seven to an extension based off of how much pressure Brent Pry used especially in the first half of the Michigan game I think they've got an opportunity to to really disrupt this Michigan State offense which honestly you know it, it doesn't really take that much to do 
Yeah, I don't want to let the defense entirely off the hook here because, like you said, the sack totals have, have, have really not been impressive in the last couple of games. They've gotten wins. Uh, they've held their opponents to, you know, 21 points, many of them coming late. And then, you know, uh, what was it, 10 points at Iowa? 12 points, I'm sorry. Um, so so they, they've, they've been impressive. Let, let's not, you know, they've looked like one of the top defenses in college football. That's the one thing you point to, though, since that Purdue game when they had 10 sacks. Uh, but I also, also will say Shea Patterson, as well-protected as he was, he was playing behind a superior offensive line to what they're going to face this week, and that is part of the equation uh, here when you when you talk about being able to get after the quarterback. I'm with you. I think Etor Grossmatos is, is primed for a big game, but I, I feel like a lot of these guys are kind of primed for a breakout, whether whether it's uh, Shaka Tony coming up big or, or Jason Away making that splash that, that we've been waiting for. And, um, and I also think this is another game on the interior where if Robert Windsor can duplicate what he did in Iowa, in, in terms of, of being a disruptive force inside, that's going to open things up for a lot of people as well. And let's face it, Micah Parsons is coming off his most productive game as a player. I think the confidence in himself grows, the confidence from this coaching staff in Micah Parsons grows, and what might they feature him in this time around that we haven't yet to see. I think that's the fun thing about Micah Parsons in year two of him playing linebacker is week-to-week basis, uh, you know, the playbook gets a little wider. And I think what Penn State coaches are willing to see and do with Micah Parsons uh, is always, uh, you know, that's going to get more expansive. So I'll be curious to see what number 11 has as a follow-up. Um, you know, and this is a guy who, who's a big-time football player. We talked about K.J. Hamler being an under-the-lights kind of guy. Uh, Micah Parsons is very much that. It's not a night game, but Michigan State, but I think he understands the importance of this, and he wants to kind of set that tone. And like you said, not all these players come with the same baggage he was a recruit checking out a bunch of schools back in 2017. Uh, I think he's less impacted by the history here against Michigan State than, than some of the older players. I would imagine that among a lot of these young guys. Mentioned last week that Michigan may have been primed and, and ripe to, to kind of be that team. You, you push the snowball down the hill and, and, and it keeps going and going and going and, 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 they're, out, and they're out of sorts and, and they get blown out. Looked like it was headed that way in Happy Valley, 21 nothing early. They proved us wrong. To their credit, they showed resiliency. And, you know, to Penn State's detriment, they couldn't, you know, tack more points on and they couldn't put Michigan away. And they made that one a lot more tough, difficult than it looked like it was going to be. Michigan State, I have even more concerns about because they're a team that has had those six in-season transfers and and, and transfer portal additions. And people are going to say, well, guys don't want to burn their red shirts and, and guys want to preserve eligibility. But part of it is also guys are bailing on the team. And, and it says something about this locker room. This is a, a locker room that has lost players because of criminal situations. It's a locker room that has lost players because of ongoing investigative issues. Um, and, and some of these recruiting classes they've brought in the last few years, which have been solid recruiting classes, have really gone by the wayside or they've been torn apart. And, and as close as Penn State is right now in, in, in chemistry and We've been repeatedly told by coaches and players that it is at an all-time high right now for the Franklin era. I do wonder if if this Michigan State situation is is really beginning to spiral and the Spartans where if you push them around a little bit coming out of a bye week, uh, any kind of confidence they gain during that week off, getting away from, from the field for a week in, in terms of game action, if they're just going to kind of remember that they just lost 38 nothing, And then the week before that, they were blown out of the building by Ohio State. And, and, and that things are not going in a good direction for this team. Uh, and, you know, they won, what, seven games last year. These guys have been through a pretty rough patch, pretty hard rough patch. And I think if Penn State can go there and play that role of the bully, not only would that say a lot of about Penn State's uh, mentality and resolve right now and where they are in terms of the Big East power structure, but I think it would also say a lot about where Michigan State is, as we said, maybe heading toward a, a moment where this era is about to end. I would agree with that. And I think that the, you look at the makeup of their roster and they're kind of all over the place in terms of experience. I do think that we've, we may have undersold their defensive line. Of course, we talked about Kenny Willekes. Uh, Raekwon Williams is, is a load in the middle. He does a really good job. The Panasuk brothers, who were both targets of Penn State a couple of years ago, you know, they're, they, they've been out there. So, you know, this defensive line can probably hold up. The front seven is pretty good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, I just don't know. Um, you know, if you hit a couple of big plays and you've got the opportunity to do kind of what Wisconsin did now, in my predictions, I don't have that just because it's it, it's been such a weird game in the last couple of years. And we've seen, you know, Penn State kind of uh, lose games they probably should not have, uh, especially last year. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's one of those things. And we'll get into predictions. I've got Penn State winning 17-13. I think it's very similar to the Iowa game. Um, I think it's which ended 17-12. I do think Penn State may have 
the ability to break uh, a couple of more big plays. I think KJ Hamler can be that guy. I think uh, Jahan Dotson can help. I thought Jahan Dotson had a really good week last week as well. Um, but I have Penn State winning this one. A lot of it goes back to Clifford. A lot of it depends on, like I said, run game efficiency, whether they get out of there, whether they get going, whether they get, uh, you know, uh, I'm not I'm not so worried about uh, carry dispersion, but uh, whether they get going forward and whether they get somebody into a into a role or on a role. And like I said, Noah Kane uh, has a really good opportunity this week. I'm sorry about that. It's my alarm. <laughs> so, yeah, you mentioned 17-13. First week in a while that we're, we have some separation. I'm going 27-14 Penn State winning this one. I don't think it's going to be a game that they run a win. I think it's going to be a one-score game, seven or eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And and I've mentioned put-away drives in the past. I think they're going to have a put-away play. because this. I think they're going to have, whether it's K.J. Hamler or Journey Brown or Jahan Dotson, I think there's going to be a back-breaking play that gives them a two-score lead late in the fourth quarter, and they can exhale on the sidelines, and Michigan State fans are kind of accept the fact that they just lost three straight games and it's going to be a tough environment but I think they're going to win the turnover battle like they did against Iowa that's going to be important Um, I don't necessarily have any individual player predictions uh, like I do sometimes but I do think that they're going to have a few back-breaking plays and and there's going to be a big one late in that game that 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 they score a touchdown on and and bury Michigan State and get a chance to to start thinking about going into the bye week at eight and no by the way Mark Brennan 21-13 he's closer to where you are the average on our lines 20 24-7 uh, predictions, 23-17 to 17 Penn State winning, which is right there with Las Vegas. They have Penn State as a six-and-a-half point favorite heading into this one, Sean. That's a, that's a very Penn State, Michigan State type of score, 23-17. So I wouldn't be shocked to see it uh, end up there. One quick uh, note on, or I guess newsworthy note, Marquise Wilson is going to be a green light. He's going to play the rest of the year, mostly be on special teams, especially with Penn State getting Trent Gordon back. Donovan Johnson still on the shelf with an injury. But, uh, you know, the, the, you know that's one of those things where you're going to play two true freshman cornerbacks, uh, which they did last weekend in in Wilson and Keaton Ellis. I think that's an interesting storyline to get uh, to move forward. You've, of course, got John Reed done after this year. Maybe Tariq Castro-Fields is done after this year as well. So trying to throw those guys in and get them going and get them uh, some experience before they move into next season. The future looks bright at cornerback. He's a part of that, and I think it needs to be bright because I, I do think they're they're probably going to be moving on from without those two starters right now and into 2020 if, if Tariq Castro-Fields continues playing the way he's playing. A couple things on that. We did get Terry Smith, the cornerback's coach for Penn State, on the phone on Thursday morning. He said Marquise Wilson is, is one of the best uh, uh, guys in terms of going up and getting the ball on the entire team. That includes the receivers. He said he's up there with anybody. Um, and he also echoed what James Franklin said, uh, the confidence level the swagger level is is maybe the best on the in the program James Franklin said among DBs he may be the most confident that he can go up and win on those 50 50 balls and and that's big because young players if your confidence gets impacted on a position like that we're on an island good luck recovering uh he's been impressive with that few quick recruiting notes he, he, we won't- he had he had he, real quick he had really good coverage on Nico Collins last week Nico Collins ended up with the uh, offensive pass interference call kind of threw him out of the way so Wilson does have to get a little bit stronger but he was right there stride for stride got his head around was in a good position to do so uh just kind of got tossed out of the way by a really good receiver and and oh and by the way he was out there for some crucial moments last couple weeks it's it's been interesting to see his first year on campus develop because he didn't play in a single non-conference game we got into the bye week the team was three and oh he was an afterthought now here he is. He's played in four straight Big Ten matchups in some critical situations, and he's a piece of the puzzle moving ahead. Going to burn that red shirt up to six red shirts now burned in the freshman class. The two cornerbacks, two running backs, Devin Ford and Noah Kane, uh, linebacker Brandon Smith, and I knew I was going to eventually forget one. And uh, no, well, I can't remember now. So we'll, we'll, we'll figure Adisa that one out. Isaac just played. His, Isaac. Isaac just played in his, his fifth game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There he was, was. A, actually a, a big part of that Tariq Castro Fields interception. He came up and smacked, uh, be, uh, I believe it was the Michigan left guard in the mouth, and, and he, the, the left guard ran into the running back. The running back stumbled. Tariq Castro-Fields pounced on it, and uh, that was a really, really good play. Um, broke it down more in the second look this week. We also talked uh, recruiting uh, with Steve Wiltfong in our last episode. Check it out. A couple of follow-ups from the, uh, the whiteout recruiting. Some more crystal balls are in in favor of Penn State. 
Steve and Bill Green from Ohio have put one in favor of Caden Saunders, and it may have the KJ Hamler effect coming uh, coming from it. Yeah, he's getting some KJ Hamler comparisons from the staff. That's not just from twenty four seven analysts, uh, and so they're telling them they see him as a similar player. Uh, also, some correlation to the current receiving group. Uh, he wants to play college baseball potentially, so something to keep in mind there. And he is a twenty twenty two player. He is an absolute burner, uh, one of the fastest players in, in, in this region, uh, and, and certainly maybe the fastest in Ohio in terms of top football talents in that 2022 class. He did confirm that uh, Penn State right now probably is his favorite, but a long way to go there. J.J. Jones is someone that Sean talked about, a receiver out of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, 2021. He left campus impressed. They picked up a commitment, as we said, from Liam Clifford, who's labeled as an athlete, could play receiver, could play safety, we'll see, but the receiver class continues to develop there and and, and, the, and the network. And, and also, Theo Johnson is another big update that came out just recently since our last episode. Uh, Steve Wolfong caught up with him. He said the atmosphere he experienced at the whiteout topped the Georgia and Notre Dame matchup that he was at earlier this year down in Athens. Jesse Lucchetta was his host. You may say, oh, well, he's not a tight end. He's a Canadian. Uh, worked out as much as he can. And Jesse, in general, is a great ambassador for the program. So a uh, good guy to keep him uh, around campus. He's got the Michigan official visit coming up when they play Michigan State in November. And it sounds like a decision could come pretty quickly from there. So one that you're probably not going to have to wait until December with Theo. Went through those quickly, Sean, because we had so much up on the site in the past few days. More than 30 pieces of whiteout-related recruiting content on the site right now for you to look through. By the way, the second look's going to be up soon that Sean put together, which is a great detailed VIP breakdown. He's over 3,000 words already. He's not done letting you know what happened against Michigan in the positive and the negative for Penn State. And also, I got a story about Marquise Wilson and, and, and kind of going into a little bit more about how he earned his way onto the football field for Penn State. I re- the reason I telling you about all these things is because only you can get access to them all if you're a VIP subscriber and we've got yet another deal available for you online 24/7 just began on Thursday morning and will continue through the weekend Anyone out there looking for an annual subscription to Lions 24-7, you can do it right now and only through the weekend for 60% off. It's about a dime a day for the entire year for the best local coverage on Penn State football inside the program and, of course, our army of network recruiting analysts for 24-7 sports. So, Sean, I know you'll vouch for all those guys. Good time to jump on board in Lions 24-7. If you, and if you weren't on board before the, uh, the whiteout game, then you missed a ton of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, there's so much stuff I've kind of lost track. I'm just going through my phone right now, and it's uh, it's like whoa, I missed that. So uh, uh, and also uh, Brian Doan just put in a top fifty crystal ball for Penn State. So things are happening. Things are going well for the Nittany Lions. And usually when things are going well for the Nittany Lions, hey, that's when we do our best work. It's crazy how that works. So uh, yeah, yes. thanks for for everybody that signed up. Thanks for everybody following along. I know that a lot of people have come up and said. Hey, we hear you on the podcast. So we, we jumped on board. We did VIP and we're, we're really happy that we did. So hopefully, you know, if anybody is, is thinking about making that jump, you can do that and you can check us out uh, at Lions 24 seven. And I guess it's nothing to do but uh, East Lansing this weekend, man. Yeah, I'll go do that. I'll talk to you guys Saturday from the game. We'll, we'll bring you some pregame coverage. Mark Brennan and I, uh, anything notable pops up uh, before the Michigan State matchup, 3.30 kick. By the way, before that game starts, we should know the outcome of Ohio State and Wisconsin, a huge matchup in the Big Ten that a lot of people have looked forward to. Lost a little luster with Wisconsin suffering its first loss, uh, upset by Illinois, but obviously every game is going to be in the spotlight for Ohio State, number three in the country. That's at noon on Fox on Saturday, so we'll see where the settles there but that'll give us a little bit more indication of just how much more or you know how much more this game could matter at michigan state and penn state in east lansing i'll talk to you there we'll be back with a post-game podcast of course on behalf of sean fitz i'm tyler donahue thank you as always for listening to the lines 24 7 podcast